for today. I know, I know it's 11.30. Is that right? I'm uh, sorry, 11.35. Um, look, I told you it would be short, and I really meant it, but I've got to tell you what God put on my heart for 2013. So if you got your sheets, um, we're just going to start filling in blanks. It won't take long. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. I noticed a couple themes in those testimonies. Um, one, obviously, was, you know, unemployment. That's huge. It affects a lot of people. But here's something else I noticed. Did you notice how many times people talked about the Word of God? The Word of God. The Word of God. 2012 um, has been a year. I mean, just for me. I mean, I just, man, I have been... Just all in the Word of God. So I started off doing G90X. I, can't, I still cannot believe I read the whole Bible in 90 days. Um, don't know if I'll ever do that again, but that's crazy to start the year off that way. And I remember being about halfway through and somebody said, do you remember anything that you're reading? Yeah, I remember some of it, but I just remember how amazing I felt just being in the Bible. Or, wait, let's rephrase, having the Bible in me. It, was, it changed everything. It changed my outlook, everything. It, this is about the Word of God. And so what we are as a church, we're about one name, and His name is Jesus. And so the church professes Jesus. We say that we love Jesus. We say that we'll follow Jesus anywhere, anytime, and say anything to anybody. And yet the Bible sits at home unopened and unread. And John 1 says that this is Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. That's just a book. John 1 says the Word became flesh. So when we profess Jesus, we say that we love Jesus, the Bible's got to be a huge priority. So keep that in mind as we finish up through. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 8. Um, we're on this journey through Acts. We're going to take a 10-week break. We'll next start next week. We're going to do the series called 10. And so I just want to get through the end of, of Acts 8. Just kind of push us forward to this next series. And here's where we are right now. Um, just before Christmas, we looked at the first part of Acts. We found a church that was called out. They were called out to conquer, but they were hesitant because they were comfortable. And that's one thing we talked about. That was the big idea. The comfortable never conquer. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. And we learned that they were a lot like us, that they chose to pull in instead of step out when things get difficult. Um, isn't, it, isn't it refreshing sometimes to read the Bible and go, wow, like this book is full of people who are like me. And God still included them in the book. I mean, he didn't, he didn't, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I don't ever want to be the guy that in my family gets put in the back room for family get-togethers, right? Well, you don't want to meet Paul. Let's just put Paul back, let's just hide him in the corner in the shadows. I don't want to be in the shadows. I love how God includes a lot of people in the Bible. Some of them are just absolute scoundrels. He didn't hide it. He didn't, he didn't hide the fact that his church was a little scared to go out. And so he had to, what did he have to do? Persecute them to make them go out, right? If you're writing, write this down. God often uses our discomfort to shorten the distance between us and the world. God often uses our discomfort to shorten the distance between us and the world. You've seen that happen in your own life. Again, you don't have to even love Jesus to know that's true. When it happens to you, you start to see it everywhere. You ever bought a white car? 
And then what do you see everywhere? White cars. It's true. Buy, buy a red neon. And everywhere you go, you'll see red neons. Guess what? They were there before. You just weren't looking for them. But when it happens to you, suddenly your eyes get opened up. Um, those of you that got up and gave testimonies about losing your jobs, guess what you see everywhere? People struggling with unemployment. You lose somebody in your family to cancer, guess what you see everywhere? People losing people they love to cancer. It just happens all the time. Now, if you win the lottery, you won't see lottery winners everywhere because there's not a lot of them. But anyway, so today we're going to get our first glimpse of spiritual warfare. Um, now, when I say the word spiritual warfare, that phrase, some people of you, some of you are like, yeah, been waiting to get to spiritual warfare. You got your camo, you can be like doing your eyes, right? And some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. I've heard it's weird. But today we're going to encounter spiritual warfare in the church, what I want you to see is that they, they encountered two things that I believe we're going to encounter in 2013, and they overcame them because they knew one powerful truth. So here's the first thing that they faced. They faced divine showdowns. Let's just walk through this quickly. Acts chapter 8. Verse 4, we read this a couple weeks ago. Those, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Verse 5 says that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. He preached. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Uh, to this point, we've seen some pretty powerful stuff in the book of Acts, but we haven't seen anything that would be like spiritual warfare. But in one chapter, all that's going to start to change. The simple preaching of the gospel brought out evil spirits in verse 5. I, I think I told you about a man I heard one time who was screaming at somebody about a demon coming out of them, and it was in the front of the church. I mean, he was just... Like, you ever see somebody scream so loud they're spitting? He was, like, spitting on this woman and screaming and just, yeah, in the name of Jesus, and blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. And I kept thinking, are demons deaf? Do you have to scream loud? Sometimes we try to make up for a lack of power by having greater volume. But evil spirits don't come out based on your volume. They come out based on God's word period what happened when philip went down to samaria he began to proclaim christ he began to preach the gospel and when he did evil spirits came out verse seven not such a quiet verse with shrieks evil spirits came out of many is mayhem People are getting healed. They're throwing away their mats. They're throwing away their crutches. Verse 7 is a very loud verse. And if that's not enough, then Philip comes in contact with a, a man named Simon, who's a sorcerer. Philip meets Harry Potter. What's up, Harry? Harry has a reputation in the city. He boasted, it says at the end of verse 9, that he was someone great. 
And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. Apparently, they were handing out nicknames on the day when they had run out of creativity. Right? This man has great power. We'll call him the great power. And this is the man that Philip meets. And here's what, here's what happens. He may have had great power, but his power in verse 11 was no match for the power of the preaching of the word of God. It says in 11, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. He was the great power. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. I want you to understand something. The power we need for divine spiritual showdowns comes from the word of God. Period. You want to be sitting here a year from now, even weaker in your faith? Don't read the Bible. You want to sit here a year from now and be stronger in your faith? Even if you go through a bunch of stuff that's hard, read the Bible. Here's a couple verses to write down just to make sure you get this. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We're not going to read it all. That's where Jesus gets tempted by Satan. So three times Satan tempts Jesus, and three times Jesus rebuts Satan. Rebuts is just a nice fancy word for kicks him in the butt. And what does he come back to Satan with? Scripture. He says, no, no, you're saying this, but it is written. It is written. It is written. Look, I don't care what your big bad self can say to Satan. I've heard the best people rebuke Satan. And they sound so good when they do. But what I never hear them say is, in Jesus' name, the Bible says, don't attack Satan. Don't go into a divine showdown based on your authority, based on your ability. Go into a divine showdown full of the Word of God. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Romans 1, 16. Paul wrote this. It is the power, the power of the gospel to save. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has power to save. Hebrews 4, 12, which ironically on you version today is the verse of the day. Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and active. It is able to. To divide a man down into his soul. The word is alive, active, and able. So here's what I believe in 2013. I believe that God's going to put our church in places where we will face divine showdowns. And in order for us to be prepared for that, we have got to make reading the word a top priority. Now... I know you're expecting me to wow you with something here. It's not going to happen. Everybody look at me. I'm going to make my way all around. I believe that in 2013, you are going to be put in positions where you will have a divine showdown. And if you're going to be prepared for that, you better make his word a top priority in your life. Or you will show up to the fight 
empty-handed, and you will get your butt kicked. And so will I. Because Satan does not care about anything at the gathering. He doesn't care how much we give to missions. He doesn't care about any of that. He's only afraid of this. You could stand up next year and say, this year I gave more money to God than I've ever given in my life. But did you read the Bible? Did you actually make this a priority in your life? Well, no, I didn't do that. Then you will, you will be slayed in a divine showdown. But not Philip. Philip was a man full of the word, full of faith. And because of that, God, he had him, he had him face a divine showdown. He put him right in the middle of a divine showdown. This is so important to us that that's the whole reason we're doing the, first, the, the 10 series. is because I want you to give God the first 10 minutes of every day for the first 10 weeks of 2013. Hopefully, version will get it done in time, but we've submitted a reading plan to version called the 10-10-10 plan. So that just 10 minutes a day, will help you read 10 books in 10 weeks in the New Testament. Now, if you if version doesn't approve it, it's no big deal because next week I'll give you a printed copy of the reading plan. And all I'm asking you to do is give God 10 minutes of a day. 10 minutes a day will allow you to read 10 books in the New Testament in 10 weeks. Just 10 minutes a day. Does God deserve more than 10 minutes a day? That's a no-brainer. Does God deserve more than 10 minutes a day? Yes. yes. Um, how many of you are realistic and still alive? <laughs> so sometimes 10 minutes a day, you're like, I know, God, you deserve more than 10, but if I could give you 10 every single day for 10 weeks, I'd be happy, okay? Our goal, our goal in 2013 is to get you in the Bible so that the Bible will get into you because you are going to face divine showdowns. Number two, they were placed in divine situations. So, again, let's just blitz through Acts 8. Philip's in Samaria. Philip's preaching. People are shrieking all over the place, and people are, like, not using their mats anymore. They're throwing away their crutches. And then this dude named Simon, um, he says, hey, I'm not going to be doing sorcery anymore. And he hears, like, the truth from Philip. He has a showdown with Philip. And then, then later on, he sees that whenever Philip prays for people, something happens, and he says to them, look, I will pay you if you will teach me how to do that. And Philip basically says, go to hell. Basically, that's what he says. May your money perish with you as you go to hell. And then Simon says, whoa, whoa, no, I don't want to go there. Pray for me that God will have mercy on me. And so he does and never really says what happens to Simon after that. So Philip is a man on fire. Would you agree? I mean, he's, he's an evangelist going around in Samaria. He's having a pretty decent time, lots of showdowns. And then what happens next is he gets put into a divine situation. Now, this is a weird deal. Verse 26 says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
goes south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Sounds like he lives in Stanley County, doesn't it? Um, go down to the river, and when you see the oak tree, turn left. Go down, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he starts out on his way. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So here's what's happening. First of all, Philip gets some specific instructions about the strange assignment. It says, go south on a desert road, go on the road away from Jerusalem, and when you find this unit in a chariot, just go run next to the chariot. Now, that would freak me out if I'm the eunuch, right? Because you're just sitting in there, and you're just riding along, you're reading the scroll, and all of a sudden you look up, and there's this dude running next to you. Go away. I can't. Why not? God told me to come here and just stay near your chariot. Okay. I'll just keep reading. Just so happens that he's reading a passage in Isaiah that specifically points to Jesus as our Savior. How many of you um, love to be evangelists? Raise your hand. Anybody love to just talk to people about Jesus? Okay. Um, anybody you wish you loved to because you know you should? <laughs> and that's me. I, I wish I loved it because I know I should. But you ever prayed for an open door? Oh, God. I will tell this person about Jesus if the bell rings three times at five after three. <laughs> right? This is an open door. Listen to what happens. Verse 30. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, which means the man reads out loud. I don't know if you read out loud when you're by yourself. I'm not going to judge, but this man does. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Anybody think an open door here? I mean, I'm sure Philip's ready to sit down. He's been running for a while next to the chariot anyway. So he hops up in there, he sits down, and he's, going, he's thinking, this is really cool. And here's what the man leads with. Verse 32, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his, earth was, for his life was taken from the earth. Now, most of us in here are lost by the end of those two verses. And maybe Philip was too, because I'm pretty sure all Philip heard was he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And he went, are you kidding me? This is an open door. This is a divine situation that God sent him into. Hey, take the road that goes south, you know, the desert road. Take that road away from Jerusalem. You'll find an, a eunuch. He's sitting there. Run up next to his chariot. Just run right next to it and just wait. Running, 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 running. Hey, why don't you come up here? Hey, I wish somebody could explain this to me. It's talking about some sheep being led to the slaughter. And what does it say that Philip did? Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I'm praying that in 2013, God will orchestrate some divine situations to put you in. The question is, will you be freed up enough to go to them? 
Let me give you a real-life example. On staff at First Assembly, loving it, youth pastoring, leading worship, having the time of my life, really felt like God was calling when you're not to go on the road as a speaker. Stupid move. Because when you're on staff at a church, they pay you. When you're on the road as a speaker, they love you. They give you love offerings. A lot of love, little offering. I mean, I have driven an hour one way and received $50. That, it's not a lot of offering. Maybe they do love you, but not a good economic move, right? Not a good financial move. And I remember when I said to God, listen, if you really want us to do this, you're going to have to give me a verse. Give me a verse that I can cling to in the Bible that I know is from you. And we prayed about it and prayed. And one day I'm driving home and the, the verse, um, John 13, 4, just pops in my head. Just boom, John 13, 4. That's weird. I wonder what that means. So I go running in the house and I said to Wendy as I'm coming through that, I got the verse. I got the verse. And I opened up my Bible and I looked at John 13. And I expected it to say this. Leave first assembly, go on the road. And that's not what it said. Um, you'll love this. Let me read it to you. John 13, 4. I could paraphrase it, but I'd rather read it to you. This is going to change your world like it did for me. So he, being Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I remember when I stood there reading that out loud to Wendy. And she said, what? We're going to bank our entire financial future on that? And here's what I knew it meant right away. I was to get up from the place where I was being fed. I was to take off the things that had kept me bound to that place. And I was to put a towel around my waist and go prepare to serve the world. Now let me ask you this question. If God told you to go on the road, the desert road, south, tomorrow, would your answer be, I can't, i got to go to work? Okay, work's not bad, right? Let's get that out of the way. Why do you have to go to work? I can't afford to miss a day. Why can't you afford to miss a day? Well, if I miss a day, then they'll take my pay away for that day. Why can't you miss a day and take, they can take your pay away? Well, if I do that, I won't be able to pay for Christmas. Let me just say this. It is the taking off of the outer clothing that is necessary. We have got to put ourselves in a position where we can be free at the moment's notice, when God says, you need to go, and we say, I'll do it. This is a sensitive subject, okay? Because money's a sensitive deal. But some of you have already said to God, I really want to go to India. But I just can't take off work. There will come a point when God will tell you, go. And he wants to put you, place you in a divine situation. 
you're going to probably not meet an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot, although that would be awesome, you know. But you may have to go to Alabama. You may have to go to Birmingham. You may have to go to a place and meet a man in a park. And you don't know what any of that means. And so you just go. Are you in a place? Have you done all that you can do to, to take off the outer garments? You know what that meant for us? Look, and I'm, try, I'm tying all this together because I want you to see how this all goes together. I'd never heard of a dude named Dave Ramsey. I still, if you, if you held a gun to my head and you said, how'd you find out about Dave Ramsey? I can't give you an answer. Dave Ramsey's the man who's going to be doing the DVD teaching on financial peace. But you know when we found Dave Ramsey? After God gave me that verse and I started to pray, how do I take off the outer garments? Which for us was, how do we get out of debt? How do I get to the place where I don't have to be a slave to a dollar? So that I can be a slave to a king. And somehow God brought this teaching to our life. And it saved us. Changed us. And we're still just like you. We still have to make a decision to not be a slave to the almighty dollar. And here's how you do it. Not only do I want you to give God the first ten minutes of your day. I want to challenge you. To give God the first 10% of every dollar. For just 10 weeks. I would almost be so bold as to tell you this. If you gave God 10% of every dollar that you made in the first 10 weeks of 2013. And God does not come through and bless you. I will give your money back. Because I'm that convinced that just like Jan. When she got up and said, you know what? I told God I'm going to start tithing. And like literally within a week she lost her job. I mean, that's the kind of story where she's coming back to me going, um, that little money back guarantee, write the check, baby. <laughs> right? And, and we, hey, I'll write her a check. It's not my money. But here she is a year later. What's her testimony? I'm making twice as much at another job. She just wrote a check to pay off her house. I mean, I would love to write a check to pay off my house. And what I, what I don't want you to get is I don't want you to walk out of here and say, oh, my goodness, Paul's become like every other preacher. He's talking about money. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm reading about a man named Philip who when God said go south, his answer was, yes, sir. I'll go right now. Well, sure, Philip got paid to go preach to Ethiopian eunuchs. Find me that in the Bible. I don't see it. All I see is that he went. And he trusted God to take care of the rest. Some of you are trusting God to come through for you on the back end. And he's asking you to be obedient to him on the front end. And I had this happen to me. Maybe this is just a, a, story, a story time with Paul. You learn through all my mistakes. When I was preparing to go out on the road and I got smart and I lined up three people to talk to that I knew had money. Because that's what we do, right? And I just, the first meeting, I just simply said, I just think God wants you to invest in my ministry. And the guy looked at me and said, I think God wants you to step out in faith. And I, he was right. And I repented right there in front of him. I'm sorry that I brought you to this lunch. Thank you for speaking honestly to me. And I think you're absolutely right. i got to step out in faith. We sing it 
give me faith, give me faith, step out in some faith. You make $10, give God one. He gave you 10. It's his money. We are stewards of his money. Philip, he was full of the word which allowed him to face a divine showdown. He was free from the cares of this world which allowed him to say yes to divine situations. Verse 35 just brings it all back to the word again. It says that Philip began from that very passage to tell him the good news about Jesus. I um, did this thing one time with um, area youth pastors. I should have patented this term. It's called the J-turn. Everybody say J-turn. J-turn. And it was in evangelism. It was the way that we would find, um, we'd find a way to turn the conversation back to Jesus. See what I did there? The J for Jesus. J-turn. Yeah, somebody says, like, my dog got hit by a car. And the J-turn would be, you know what? It's hard when dogs get hit by cars. And I remember one time when Jesus got hung on a cross. J-turn. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be quite as awkward as that. But you know what I love about? I love about people that are really full of the Bible, that really know the Word of God. You can put them in any situation, in any conversation, and just very naturally, Jesus comes up. Just very naturally. I mean, literally, we look at that and go, well, he was reading about a sheep led to the slaughter. Duh, that's Jesus. But, I mean, he could have read, like, I know you don't believe this, but there's a verse in Matthew that says, like, where the, where the dead bodies are, the vultures gather. Really bizarre verse in the Bible. But if he had been reading that, I think Philip would have found a way to bring that back to Jesus. Somehow he could have done that because he was so full of the Word of God. The question has to be this. What gave Philip the confidence he needed to face showdowns in situations like these? And listen, we are a Harry Potter culture. We are obsessed with the supernatural. I was looking last night at how much money. Why did we keep like paranormal activity? I think there was paranormal activity and then paranormal activity. One, two, three, and four. Or two, three, and four. Somebody was writing this. Why do we have Paranormal Activity 4? It's a movie, by the way. You know why we have it? Because it cost them $15,000 to make it, and it brought in $150 million. That's why we have it. We're obsessed with paranormal, supernatural activity. You know why we're obsessed with it? Somebody say why. Because we never see it. It's just in the movies. We've made it entertainment. But I can guarantee you this. It says in Acts chapter 8 that when Philip was preaching and people started to shriek, let somebody shriek next to you right now. I should have paid somebody to do it. I should have paid somebody to set them up to do it right now. Somebody in this general area right now just to shriek and start falling on forward and convulsing back and forth. I spit in the back of their head. You know what I know to be true? More than likely, most of this section, not back next Sunday. <laughs> Fair enough? We'll pay money to theater to see it. But we don't ever really see it. It seems good in Acts, but seems bizarre in Albemarle. So what's the one truth that if we know it, it'll prepare us for battles that God's going to put us in this next year? 
It's this, this is the big idea. We can never be outnumbered. It's found in 2 Kings 6.16. And there's a part of me that thinks when Philip was in Samaria and he was walking around, he was preaching, and he was preaching the word, and he was like hearing people shriek and stuff was weird stuff was going on. I think that somehow his mind went back to this story that he probably heard so many times about Elisha and his servant. They're in this little city named, called Dothan. And this king hates Elisha. And so he sends all of his men down to Dothan to kill Elisha. And so his servant, you'd love to be the servant. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So he walks out and he sees like an army surrounding them. And he says what you and I would say, Oh my God, what shall we do? The servant asked. And here's what the prophet said. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Here's my prayer for you in 2013. I'm just praying, God, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see that those who are with us are more than those who are with the enemy. Have you ever been outnumbered? I played on a basketball in a basketball game one time when um, we just kept getting people fouled out and fouled out, fouled out. And so it was five on five, and then it was five on four, and at the end of the game it was five on three, and I was one of the three, so it was really five on two because I'm not very good. We didn't win the game, right? Because we're outnumbered. It's not good to be outnumbered. I want you to know something: as a child of God, you can never be out numbered here's a couple things to write down just take away from today a couple verses that back that up romans 8 31 romans 8 37 isaiah 54 17 first john 4 4 that was quoted earlier greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world and here's why it's so important to understand that you can never be outnumbered when we're outnumbered we get scared but when we outnumber we get strong when we're outnumbered, we begin to doubt. When we outnumber, we begin to drive. When we're outnumbered, we put our heads down. When we outnumber, we lift our heads up. When we're outnumbered, we feel small. When we outnumber, we feel big. It's all about putting ourselves in the Word and in a position where we can be free from the cares of this world. Man, you do that. God is going to do amazing things in our lives in 2013. He's going to put you in some divine showdowns. You are going to, you are going to fight some stuff. And it's going to be the Word of God in you that defeats the enemy. He is going to put you in some divine situations. You're going to walk in here and say, how was your week? It was weird. I woke up on Tuesday and felt like I had to go to Monroe. Why? Well, I wasn't really sure, but I had to go to the mall in Monroe, and when I got there, I met this person, and I shared Jesus, and they accepted Christ. That's going to be a, that's going to be normal stories in our church in two, 2013. I believe it with all my heart. And the reason why you're going to overcome, the reason why you're going to do those things is because of one simple idea. You can never be outnumbered.